Okay, today we're, we're finishing up the second paragraph in Colossians 1. And uh, the way we've been doing it the last two weeks, and I really enjoy it, is we stand up while we're reading. Um, since we've already read through the, whole, the, the first two paragraphs twice, Standing up, I'll read through them again, and then we'll just stand up and we'll read 13 and 14 together. Sort of a, a hurrah together, um, stand in agreement. So I'll, I'll read us through until 13 and 14, and then you guys can stand with me as we read those. Colossians 1 begins... This letter is from Paul, chosen by God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus, and from our brother Timothy. It is written to God's holy people in the city of Colossae, who are faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. May God our Father give you grace and peace. We always pray for you, and we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard that you trust in Christ Jesus, and that you love all of God's people. You do this because you are looking forward to the joys of heaven, as you have been ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. This same good news that came to you is going out all over the world. It is changing lives everywhere, just as it changed yours that very first day you heard and understood the truth about God's great kindness to sinners. Epaphras, our much-loved co-worker, was the one who brought you the good news. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us in your place. He is the one who told us about the great love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So we have continued praying for you ever since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you a complete understanding of what he wants to do in your lives. And we ask him to make you wise in, spirit, in spiritual wisdom. Then the way you live with, will always honor and please the Lord. And you will continually do good, kind things for others. All the while you will learn to know God better and better. We also pray that you will be strengthened with his glorious power so that you will have all the patience and endurance you need. May you be filled with joy, always thanking God the Father who enabled you to share the inheritance that belongs to God's holy people who live in light. So stand with me as we read the last two verses, please. <clears throat> we also, uh, for he has rescued us from the one who rules in the kingdom of darkness, and he brought us into the kingdom of his dear Son. God has purchased our freedom with his blood and has forgiven our sins. Thank you. You guys can sit down. So I'm going to go ahead and pray for us before we begin. Oh God, I... Faith is only something that can be given as a gift by you, and I pray that you'll open, um, open us up to that today. Uh, I love the example that was once given about how you, you tore open a, a wound in the heart of the woman at the well so the gospel could enter, and I pray that that would happen today too. And maybe as we see uh, where we have been or where we are, and we see what you offer and who you are, and we respond to that. God, I pray that we won't be partial with the use of our hearts. We will be full and wholehearted people that when we see truth, we go after it. 
God, we'll be courageous because we see that you're a God who courageously loves us and does amazing things for us to call us back into relationship with you. And So God, please help me be clear today as I speak. And um, I pray this just to be a, a real enjoyable time together as we, as we listen to your word. God, work powerfully here. I pray this in your name, amen. Okay, what we get here in the last two verses is uh, what I call the story of change. Um, we, have, uh, we have a variety of lengths of stories. Once, when you're a child, stories come in a very different form than they do when you are an adult, right? When you're an adult, it's not uncommon to pick up Dostoevsky's Crime and Punishment and read all the way through it, Right? <laughs> Maybe not for everyone, but, but that's adult reading, right? When you're a child, things come as simply as a few illustrations and the train goes choo-choo, right? Or chugga-chugga, or the clock goes tick-tock. And there might be not only nice illustrations, but things you can feel and touch and help you understand the simplicity of the story, not just the complexity of it, right? And to enter the kingdom... It doesn't say you have to be an adult and mature and wise and aged and post-college to understand the kingdom. It says you have to be a child to understand the kingdom. Because the kingdom of God isn't something that's complex. It's not something that takes uh, a college degree for you to understand. No, but a child sometimes will understand the kingdom of God before even an adult will understand the kingdom of God. And so that's sort of the shortened version of the story that we get here in the last two verses of this paragraph, right? Paul first, and I'll I'll do a recap for us of the first two weeks, the thing Paul first approaches the Corinthians with is that he's thankful for them. Um, And I thought about this this morning. It's it's sort of how I'm, I'm thankful for you guys, right? Being, being sick, it gives me the right to be nostalgic right now. Um, <laughs> no, so I'm, I'm really thankful for you guys, right? The, the body that God's brought together here. And it's a, it's a different people. The Bible calls the people of God a peculiar people, right? It's not, it's, it's never, uh, the, the people you see here, this motley group of individuals that come to hear about God and come because they love God, aren't the kind that you have, like, cameras rolling around, you know, like, trying to catch every shot, right? Because we're sort of a, a people that are strange in the eyes of the world, right? Um, and that's, that's reason, the first reason why Paul is thankful for them. He says because there's a, a love and a joy that has sprung from a hope that you guys have that you have an eternal reward, right? That there's a heaven waiting for you guys. It's the first thing he's thankful for. There's a love that comes from you guys that brings you guys together because you know that, that there's an eternity that's waiting for you guys. That's the first thing he's thankful for. Second thing he's thankful for, he says, because you heard the gospel and it changed your life. And that same gospel, it's going through the whole world and just changing people. He said, it changed you too. Right? And I'm thankful for that. And that's just how Paul's thankful for the Church of Colossae. 
I'm thankful for you guys in that way. I'm, I'm thankful for you when I can talk to you guys and you remind me of, of heaven, right? I'm thankful when I can talk to you guys and you remind me of how you've been changed or how I can be changed. Because we have to remind each other of that often, be thankful for each other about that often. And then he goes and he, he, and then he prays for them. Okay, and his prayer for them involves three things that we looked at last week. And that is that they would bear, be bearing fruit in every way. They would be strengthened with power according to his glorious might and for endurance and patience. Is, and they will joyfully be giving thanks to the Father. Right, so he says, after I'm thankful for you guys, I'm praying for you guys that what he calls this uh, living lives worthy of the Lord. He goes from thanking to praying that they would live lives worthy of the Lord. And I'll give you an example of this. Um, the reason why we need to pray for that and pray for that for each other um, is explained well in the illustration he gives about the kingdom that we're going to dive into here. Um, and the kingdom, the, the, the illustration he gives is one of, of conflict, us being won by conflict. And this is hard to understand for a lot of us who, um, who might not have experienced conflict. We would have a different idea of war if we had to live in the 1940s and go on war rations, right? And as a whole country mobilized around one effort, right? The effort of winning the war, right? But our, our country doesn't mobilize around things anymore like that. Our country is very disunified, right? Um, we would have a very different idea of war if we lived in London when they were being blitzed by the air raids, right, from Germany. And the slightest sound of a plane would terrify you because you didn't know if the bomb was going to hit your house or the house of a friend or a family member, right? It would be a, it's a different mentality. And, and that's the mentality Paul asks us to, um, to taste as he presents us with this idea of, of us being taken from a kingdom of darkness and being brought into a kingdom of light. And that, that work being a rescue mission that God goes on for us. And so it's this idea of war. And when God asks us then, before he even comes into this, Paul says, live lives worthy of the Lord we get this imagery throughout all of Scripture, something uh, that is often referenced to is Ephesians 5, where it talks about the armor of God, right? So God gives us different, different uh, pieces of armor, whether it's a sword or a shield or a breastplate or a helmet, um, that we can prepare ourselves for. And there's reason why God gives that imagery rather, in, rather than it being um, the imagery of farm equipment, right? Or um, five different ways to massage your spirituality, right? It's, it's, very, it's vastly different than, okay, there's a sword and you're going to use it, right? The sword of the Spirit, and you better be ready. You better understand what that means and how to use it, right? And so I, I ask you as you, you come into this, um, to join with me in, in this, this sort of war mentality that we're being, being asked to understand, um, to help 
myself understand this a little better, I watched the movie Saving Private Ryan. I don't know if you've watched that. But yeah, it's, it's a very intense movie. It starts with troops landing um, the beaches of Normandy, and they're just getting riddled by machine gun fire, right? And then they're working their way in, and eventually they, they go behind enemy lines to try to find Private Ryan, Private James Francis Ryan, <laughs> to, uh, to rescue him and bring him back because he had already lost three brothers in combat, and he was the last of... Uh, the brothers, and they were going to send him back home to be with his mom. And so they go on this, this mission behind enemy lines, fighting along the way to try to save Private Ryan. And that's, that's the idea we get. And it says, we have been rescued, right? For he rescued us from the one who rules in the kingdom of darkness. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you the different, uh, different mentality that we need to to take as we go into this, because, you see, usually when you begin fighting, or when you end up being captured, it's because you've been in battle already, right? But it's different for us, and this is what what transforms our idea of the world right now, is that we don't uh, enter into the conflict and get captured but we are people that begin by being captured, right? When we wake up, we wake up into this knowledge of the gospel, the first thing we realize is that we need to be rescued, right? The first thing we realize isn't like, oh, I'm, on the, I'm in the Lord's army marching ahead, right? And this should help us. There's no typical testimony in that way. Oftentimes, if you hear a testimony about, say, a baptism uh, and someone's giving their testimony, it it's really sounds pithy when it starts like this. Uh, well, I grew up in a Christian family. Like, that's supposed to mean something, right? I grew up in a Christian family, and, uh, you yeah, know, da-da-da-da-da, right? But the fact is, you don't, you don't grow up on the winning side. You grow up, and your heart is so easily led astray, Right? And so as we begin to understand Paul's mentality that he comes away from this, right? when you read the letters of Paul, you, you can't help but see a man who is so impassioned for one single thing, and that is the glory of God and the expansion of his kingdom, right? And the gospel taking root in people's hearts because the gospel frees people. And even I, even as I study, I can be thinking, Paul, you're just, you're out there, right? Paul, you're, I mean, you're, you're pretty awesome, right? I mean, but that's not where Paul started, and that's, that's where he wants us to understand that's not where we start either, right? And so when we struggle and we realize, why am I in such conflict, even, even now, why, why can I really, like, feel like I need to fight for what's righteous, and, and I love it because that's why he's us, give, helpfully giving us these illustrations. Because we begin as a captured people, captured by the kingdom of darkness. And the kingdom of darkness is this. If you turn with me to Ephesians 2, it will help give you an illustration of, uh, of our beginning
starting right there at the beginning, it says, Once you were dead, doomed forever because of your many sins. You used to live just like the rest of the world, full of sin, obeying Satan, the mighty prince of the power of the air. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us who lived, who used to live, that all of us sorry, used to live that way, following the passions and desires of our own evil nature. We were born with an evil nature, and we were under God's anger, just like everyone else. So that's where we begin. We begin as the the famous hymn says, right, "I once was blind, and now I see." We we begin blind. <laughs> we we begin captives. Um, we begin in this area of darkness, um, and, and I'll give you, uh, I'll help that darkness be a little more understandable to you. And what that is, is really what it is, is, um, is misunderstanding and confusion. Um, by way of, in Romans 1.18, it says, even though they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but in their thinking they became futile. And they exchanged the glory of God for things made to look like man and animals and everything else, right? And so, our, um, and so that's where it really began, not just with us doing that, excuse me, but with Adam and Eve doing that. Um, simply having experience um, or, or understanding of, of joy or, or suffering doesn't diminish maybe the darkness that you're in and help you understand it. When you have Adam and Eve in the garden, right? And they were said not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It was because they could go to God. This is very familiar with you guys. They were meant to go to God for their understanding, right? And when Satan's temptation came to them, he says, if you eat of the tree, he doesn't want you to because then you'll be like gods, right? Knowing good and evil. And so in in a, a way they began to understand good and evil in a different way after they ate. But their thinking became futile because rather than being able to process and understand what's good and what's evil and come to God and say, God, is this good? Can I do this? Is this? And, and be in communication with him. And their thinking, they became futile, right? And their foolish hearts talking because they became their own authorities, right? Worshiping man, they'd, they'd go to their meetings and be like, well, what should we, what should we exalt? What should we... Uh, do what's right, right? <laughs> Ultimately, what is good and what's just is being able to go to God and be in communication with Him. And that is living in the light, right? Is we can come, and we don't have to try to figure out for ourselves what is good and what's right. Um, and so they were, they were darkened in their understanding, and that darkness is just continued, right? And so that's where we find ourselves, in the kingdom of darkness, and so when the rescue came, um, <laughs> this is beautiful, because it says he, let me see, I, I wrote my notes in NIV, and, and we're in the, the living translation. So he says, oh, here we go, he has brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. And so the imagery here, the word brought, literally in the Greek, it means the illustration is a current, a rushing river current that is pulling you in one direction. And so it says, when we've been brought, that we've been rescued and we've been brought into the kingdom of the Son, His dear Son, dear being the word agape, so the Son of His love, right? So, it says, with this mighty current, 
God swept us away and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. And so it was His work. And, and there's, the first thing we'll note about this is that it was something that He did. He brought us, right? As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you used to live, as Ephesians 2 said. And the, the simple illustration with that is if you're dead, you won't all of a sudden wake up and be like, let's go. Let's get out. No, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were, we were dead in the way we thought. And we needed rescuing from that. And that's the beauty of it. It's, uh, it's really the, the glory of so many stories we've heard, right? Of people that, that lived in, under the rule of a cruel king, right? And then a more powerful king came and saved them, Right? And they're able to live under the good rule of a good king. The kingdom is, uh, is talked about in several ways in the Bible. And, and I want you guys to get a little taste for it. Um, the kingdom's called, uh, compared to a, a wedding feast that a king prepares for his son. As we talked about earlier, the kingdom it says, unless you are like a child, you can't enter the kingdom. The kingdom is like a mustard seed that once planted, it grows into the greatest tree in the whole garden. Right? The kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great price that when the merchant found it, he, he sold everything else and bought that pearl. Right? The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field that when a man found it, he joyfully sold all his possessions and he purchased that field so he could have that treasure. All right, so the kingdom... First, we understand it's of incomparable worth, right? It's something that isn't worth being traded for anything else. Um, and I believe you'll only understand this um, if you understand two things. If you understand the darkness that you were once in, or maybe the darkness that you are in right now, right? Unless you understand what it's like to be um, really diminished in your thinking. Diminished in your thinking by giving glory to things other than God, right? As we can, we can live our lives in so many directions, right? So when, you're, when you live in darkness, it doesn't mean that, that you are just uh, n- naive. You're naive of certain things, but it doesn't mean you won't be able to put certain things together, right? It can mean you're very successful in the ways of this world, right? Um... <laughs> A good, a good example is uh, if, we, um, if we live as we have for such a long time in the culture of this world, we can get very good at that, right? And we can get very good at speaking the language, right? And we can get so familiar with it that it's, it seems so much like home to us, right? And so our reasoning, our reasoning can, can just dwell at that level, right? And so... Uh, the classic example that's told all the time about that C.S. Lewis gave about a, a vacation that's given to you by the seashore, but you want to hang out making mud pies because maybe that's just so familiar to you, right? You're like, well, I've, just, I've got really the, the circular mud pie down, and I feel like I can get successful selling those now, right? I mean, maybe, maybe you're just so, so good at that, despite the dissatisfaction that will come from remaining apart from having a relationship with God. 
and what's offered by that rescue. If you'll turn with me to, uh, to well, if you're still at Ephesians, um, you can deal with me there, because it's not only understanding um, the darkness, but it's understanding the cost of the rescue. See, because when, when God came and addressed our sin, and this is amazing, is you, you haven't, this is what separates the Bible from any other religion or any other worldview, is God addresses our problem in a very different way. Um, God addresses our issue of the pain that's been caused by sin and what's going on, the confusion, the disunity that's been caused by sin by sending His own Son into the world. And that, that sounds like a, a, a typical message maybe for us to hear, but think about it in this way. Um, the Buddha, okay, his answer to pain and suffering was that you need to pretend like there is no such thing as that. Right? So, so basically, to reach nirvana, you, you want it to be... Uh, you want to get to the point where it's all just an illusion to you. Moksha, right? It's just an illusion. So, how are you going to deal with your suffering? Oh, it's just an illusion, right? And, and I'm, I'm not necessarily making fun of that. It's just, uh, I mean, it can sound p- paltry, but it really, uh, I mean, I think it sounds so attractive to people because they want to know how to, uh, how to deal with these issues, Right. Um, another thing, I was reading a, a book um, yesterday, just browsing through it, by another religious leader, and and it said that he he wrote these things in he wrote his prophecies in uh, idealistic idealistic isolation from the world, right? And so he was he was away so he could have this this peace and serenity to sort of write down his thoughts and then offer them to the world, but it's very different than what we get. Right? The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who his tenants weren't paying what they needed to be paying. And so he sent a servant, they killed that servant. He sent another servant, they killed that servant. Eventually he sent his own son, and they killed that son. Right? And so that's the kingdom, which is a different idea than any other. Any other religion is God's problem, God's solution to the problem was that I will send my own son into the world that he who knew no sin will become sin for them so that in him they can be the righteousness of God. That by his wounds we will be healed, right? Not by his isolation throwing some thunderbolts down and being like, are you ready yet? No. No, that... That we have a high priest that's not unable to sympathize with our weakness, but is able to sympathize in every way with what we have and what we struggle with, because he actually entered into this sphere that we call earth, right? He actually entered into the problem and solved it. And so the, the cost of that rescue. And that's what you get when um, in Colossians, we're going to get to Ephesians, don't worry. In Colossians, where he says, God has purchased our freedom with his blood. Right? It was a costly freedom. The word there literally is redemption, which means 
um, fully fully paid for, right? That that what the the ransom that needed to be paid was fully paid for, right? So he paid for it with his blood, and this is what it looks like in Ephesians two, as you follow me. Um, on from five to the end. Or four to the end. It says, But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so very much that while we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's special favor that you have been saved, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ, and we are seated with him in the heavenly realms, all because we are one with Christ Jesus. And so God can always point to us as examples of the incredible wealth of his favor and kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us through Christ Jesus. God saved you by his special favor when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we have done so that none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece, creating us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things he planned for us long ago. And so this is the, the incredible, it says the favor of God that he gave us. Not that any of us can boast about it. Right? That, that he, <laughs> he decided to, to rescue us. Um, and Colossians says, so he qualified us to have an inheritance with his sons. So he not only rescued us, paying the costly price for us, but he made us able to have an inheritance with him. And this is what makes that certain on top of all that. And this is well illustrated in the movie Chronicles of Narnia, right? When, or the book, if you've watched or read them, when, um, when the children have, have come and Aslan, who's this sort of uh, Christ figure, they've come and they're, they're in the camp with him. You know they're safe with him, right? But then the witch comes and she claims uh, Edmund, right? She says, he's mine. He made the pact with me. And so instead of sending him, Aslan goes, and he is killed in the place of Edmund. And, and this is how, how thorough God is in the way he saved us. It says he not only redeemed us by his blood, but he says, and he has forgiven them all our sins. And says, this is what binds us to Satan. Right? This is what binds us and diminishes us again and again is our sin. Right? It's not something that like, we can be like, oh, I'm, just, I'm born into this. I'm just sort of caught and I'd rather do something else. But we realize it's our sin that has, has chained us to our destructive patterns. Right? And so God not only redeeming us, but forgiving our sins is what has cut all our ties with the claim the enemy has on us. And I'll give you an example of this using, um, using Chronicles of Narnia. So, right, so the, the um, claim that the, the witch had on, on Edmund was that he had done something wrong and he had made a pact with her, right? And essentially that's what we do is we really willfully go about doing things that are wrong, right? Um, and so what um, Aslan did 
in taking the sin, God made him who knew no sin to be sin, that in him we could be the righteousness of God. By taking that sin, is that Satan could no longer say, okay, you see that? You see that in your life? Oh yeah, you might be on the good side, but see, you're still mine, because there's still sin in your life. Right? That's actually been taken care of by the work Christ has done. So there needs be, there need be no attachment to the world anymore, no claim that Satan has in your life. And so this is what, this is what Paul is after he prays, and this is what he wants us to understand. And this is why Paul lives so differently, is because he understands that he doesn't need to have attachment anymore to the ways of the world. Right? Because he's forgiven. Right? Not only that he's been redeemed, but he's been forgiven. And we have lost an understanding of the power of forgiveness because we don't really forgive each other anymore. I talked to my interns this about, about this quite a bit, how right, if Zach punches me in the face and, and he's like, I'm sorry. And usually what will happen is you go, don't worry about it. Right? It's like we don't, we don't treat forgiveness as being material anymore, which it is, right? Our sin that we do, which creates separation between us and God, that's what sin does, it really has this buildup in our lives that if we keep ignoring it, oftentimes we'll go for such a long time and we'll be like, why, why do I struggle so much, right? And we're not, we're not looking to God and what he's provided, both in the armor of God to protect us from the things that we could do, but also what he's done in rescuing us, that we can claim that, right? And we can go to him directly, right? And we can say, God, forgive me. Please forgive me. And those chains can be, can be broken. Um, this is very tangible, and I'll give you an example of this. Um, we have something called nuclear waste, an example I came up with a few months ago. Uh, we have this thing called nuclear waste that we can't get rid of, right? We just, so we don't really know what to do with it, so we bury it in the ground. It's a true thing. We actually do this in America. If you go to Hanford, we bury a lot of nuclear waste there. Um, that's in Washington. I wouldn't stay there too long. You might have a third eyeball when you leave. Right? So we, we bury it because we don't know what to do with it, right? And we can't really get rid of it. It would actually cause more waste if we tried to get rid of it, so we just don't get rid of it. And so we can either bury it or shoot it in outer space, and that's been an idea that they've toyed around with. But eventually, we're going f- <laughs> to, I mean, you know, ad infinitum, <laughs> we're just going to be filling our soil with nuclear waste, etc., because we don't know what to do with it. And that's the same thing that we do with our sin. We absolutely don't know what to do with it, Right? We've done things against God and we don't know what to do with it. And, and it causes a lot of angst and a lot of struggle within ourselves. And, so we, and we under, don't understand, like, Paul, how can you be so free? How can you talk about being joyful and, and happy and being thankful and, and, like, wanting us to participate in that? I don't understand. And Paul's like, okay, the only reason you're gonna, you can understand is if you understand that there's been a reconnaissance mission by God that has rescued you from the kingdom of darkness, brought you into the kingdom of light, and you can stay there in the kingdom of light because you can constantly go to God and say, God, forgive me. 
And that, because that relationship isn't broken anymore, right? Because by God's own doing, He has welcomed you back, right? Like a mighty current, He has swept you into His kingdom. And He wants you to stay there. But we don't stay there because we keep, we sin and then we're like, okay, I've sinned, now I'm outside, right? And so we just stay outside. And the gospel of forgiveness is don't stay outside. That's the gospel of the prodigal son story. Come back home, right? Come back home and say, I'm not worthy, and I, I know I'm not worthy, right? So if you're struggling with sin, whether you claim to be a Christian or don't claim to be a Christian, your relationship with God can be renewed even today. And that's huge for us. Right? And that's, that's, the, glory, that's the, the short story of the gospel that's presented here. Right? That we were once in a kingdom of darkness. We had a ruler that hated us and despised us. And now we've been brought into a kingdom of a, a God that loves us and wishes the best for us. Right? But asks us to obey him. And when we disobey him, that causes separation. Right? But go to him. Go to him and seek his forgiveness because that is what he made possible through the costly blood of his son who took so much interest in this world that he didn't stand afar, but he actually came. So that's the, that's the truth that we have for you today. Um, 1 Peter, we'll end here. 1 Peter 2, 9-12. through 12. First Peter two nine through twelve, and this sort of this highlights the the new kingdom that you guys have been invited into. It says, "But you are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are a kingdom of priests, God's holy nation, His very own possession. This is so that you can show others the goodness of God, for He called you out of darkness into His wonderful light." Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you received none of God's mercy, and now you have received his mercy. Dear brothers and sisters, you are foreigners and aliens here, so I warn you to keep away from evil desires because they fight against your very souls. Be careful how you live among your unbelieving neighbors. Even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will believe and give honor to God when he comes to judge the world. So you guys are special. You guys are a peculiar people. You guys are a peculiar people because you've received mercy. Mercy, the ability to receive forgiveness, right? It's sort of like a children's story because it's very easy, right? Once you see it, you're like, oh, so I have a, a father that loves me and he's welcoming me into his kingdom, and he wants me to come under his good rule. And if I, I don't, I could come back like the prodigal son and, and seek forgiveness. And that forgiveness is something so tangible that it will, it will take that burden of sin out of your life. Right? The waste that you've buried deep. Because he's freed you. It's for freedom Christ has set you free. And it's true. So this is the story of change as we've gone through.
Um, dwell on it. Make a picture book about it if you need. Color in the pictures. Um, whatever you need just to, to think about it. And think about it often, right? So you're a thankful people. Right? The thing that will often lead to us remaining in sin the longest is bitterness, right? Something creeps up in our lives and we just get bitter, right? And we don't think we can go back or we just stay. We don't seek fellowship or anything else. But go back home like the prodigal son, right? Um, and if you are home and you're enjoying it, man, that's why the kingdom of heaven is a marriage feast prepared, right? That's why the, the Bible keep point, keeps pointing to it like that, like this, like that. It's because it's so many wonderful things, right? And ultimately is a relationship with the Father that needs not be hindered any longer. So take it and be changed by it. Um, I'll pray for us. And then um, Pat is going to be there at the back if you'd like to pray with him during our time of singing. Um, yeah. Let's worship together. Oh God, I thank you for your gospel that uh, you tell us in so many illustrative ways um, to refresh our minds and to fight our um, simple thinking, um, to really elevate us, um, to think wonderfully about you again and what you do and who you are. God, I, I pray that by your Spirit, even this morning, God, you'll be convicting us of sin and bring us to repentance and just rejoicing in the righteousness that you offer. I thank you for your peculiar people and for making us that. God, we praise you for rescuing us. In your name, amen.